take that last sip of Malbec. Is that Malbec I see there? Uh, this, is a, uh, this is a Ganache Syrah Mouvadre blend. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. By Pontificus. Yeah, Pontificus, they are a uh, Trader Joe's staple. It's one of these great like European wines they have there. It's like five or six bucks, but it's fucking great, dude. That's awesome. Yeah. All right, here we go. Bogdan, Brian, and their guests are not registered investment advisors. Nothing discussed today should be relied on for investment decisions, nor is it investment advice. This show is for informational and entertainment purposes only. Please work directly with an investment professional. Welcome, everybody, to the Crypto Safari podcast where we look for those crypto crocodiles that will stand the test of time while the DeFi dodos disappear into the darkness of Web3 history. My name is Bogdan, and as always, here I have Brian. How's it going, Bri? It is going, Bogdan. That is a great opening. Love the references to extinction, because as we both know, that happens in business. 90% of the time, I think, right? It happens in business. It happens in crypto. but with us, it'll happen less often, right, Brian? Uh, we hope so. Uh, there's going to be a disclaimer there. So yes, yes, yeah. Thank you, guys. By the way, for continuing to submit your crypto questions uh, this week, our listener questions have a little bit to do with staking crypto, and then also we're going to talk about reoccurring buys. Mm. So that is something to look forward to. But before we jump into that, let's jump into the news. Have you heard? the latest news from Coinbase, Brian? Uh, well, we talked about their NFT projects. We did, we did. And they're actually adding stuff. So for my first per first piece of crypto news here, really interesting, Coinbase's crypto wallet, which I know you use, I do, yeah. added support for Solana tokens. So these are the first non-Ethereum compatible crypto assets to be added to the Coinbase wallet. I know you can buy Solana on Coinbase. So now they're used, you can buy coins that are based on the Solana network. Now you can you can take your Solana tokens and you can put them into your Coinbase wallet if you need to take them somewhere else or use them for other purposes. So Coinbase wallet is now, the way I understand this, is now compatible with Solana tokens. Got it. Yeah, because right now it's just ETH. So you... You take your ETH, you put it in your Coinbase wallet, you take that to a decentralized exchange, and then you can use that. So now I can take Solana from Coinbase, put it in my Coinbase wallet, and then shop freely. Exactly, exactly. So uh, Coinbase also said that they're going to be adding more Solana integrations, including support for the Solana-based NFTs, which we talked about, uh, and then also for some of Solana's decentralized applications. That's pretty big news. Was there any uh, price bumps in Solana based on that? Uh... There were not. And I have some other news about Solana that explains some of this. So uh, if you guys aren't familiar, Solana was up at like 240, 250 per token. We are down as of this recording right now at about 80 to 90 per mm -hmm. token. So quite a big drop. But one of the interesting things, and I, did, I hadn't heard about this until now, 
is that several people are critiquing Solana because they're pointing out that 48% of all Solana tokens are being held by insiders and VC firms. Wow. That is a very, very top heavy distribution. And we talked about this, I think, in a couple episodes. When you look at some of these projects, it, it helps to look and see who's holding the majority of these tokens. Because, for example, like these uh, VC investors, they, they hold a large percentage, but they might not be able to sell them until after like two or three years. And so once that happens, there might be a big dump. So, yeah, that's that's a little bit uh, a little bit scary. It's, it's giving me, uh, because you know that I'm a big fan of Solana. I got into Solana very early. So like, I obviously have a vested interest in it doing well. Um, but I also believe that it's just like really good technology and community, but this made me yellow flag, if you will. It's not a red flag for me. It's more of a yellow of like, oh, okay. I'm going to like be a little bit more cautious about being so bullish on Solana. Uh, I do have a chart that I found about what other coins have in terms of insider and VC firm allocations. I'm going to do a little guessing game with you here, Brian. Well, at least hopefully you haven't seen this, the same chart. Otherwise this will be a boring game. What percentage of tokens do you think are held by insiders for Cardano? Solana again is 48%. 48%. And so Cardano, well, I mean, their whole model was to be a business. That's why they split from Ethereum because Ethereum wanted to be a nonprofit. I don't, I'm going to say it's not over 48%. I'm going to say 35%. You are close-ish. It's actually a lot better. 17%. Okay. Well, not really close, but that's, that's still like, that's not bad. That's, that's not bad. That's really low. Uh, let's do another one here. Phantom. What percentage do you think is held by insiders? Man, I don't know. I'm going to say you must have picked them for a reason. 55%. You are on, you're on it. 53%. Wow. Really, really well. Interesting thing about Phantom, 53% are held by insiders. And by insiders, what do we mean? That means the actual team that created the coin, uh, VC firms, people who are, you know, not on the public market, right? Insiders. But the interesting thing about Phantom, 53% is held by the insiders. The community allocations is actually about 45%. Meaning they also are holding in reserves 45% to give out to their community, which means that's also not in circulation. And only 4% is actually in the public market. Hmm. So that's really interesting. I don't know how to interpret that. Is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? Yeah, I mean, I guess it all depends on, you know, what happens with the project, you know, if it is something that gets adopted, people really, you know, buy into the community, I guess that's a good thing. Um, if you're a holder right now, I don't know. I mean, that, that's, there's a lot of questions about that. I think we'll have to wait and see, but uh, I don't know. What, what, what's your opinion on it? I'm not sure. It really depends how these community allocations are actually used. So one of the uses here that's listed is for airdrops, meaning if you hold some polka dot, maybe they'll be airdropping more polka dot or more phantom, I mean, uh, into your into your wallet. Um, if that's the case, I'm a big fan 
because you know i have some phantom please send me some more for free yeah, uh, but mean, if that's not the case then that that is worrisome absolutely i think it, it just has to be like really transparent in terms of what their plans are for it and if you don't see that information on the white paper then maybe be a little bit i wouldn't say skeptical but a little bit weary maybe mm-hmm. um, i do like the airdrops it's a good way to like it's a good marketing tool you yeah. know it's a good way to like create a little buzz and everything and you know people don't want to miss out on it so yeah, I don't know. I guess you really just have to trust the project, trust the leadership and, you know, trust that they'll do the right thing. And so, I mean, blockchain is all about trust. So I guess there we go. It is, it is all about that big C word community. Okay. Uh, all right. I'll give you one last one. You did really well on Phantom. I have one last one here. Polkadot, which we talked about two episodes ago. Yes. What percentage do you think is held by insiders for Polkadot? Okay. Well... You're a showman by nature. So I'm thinking you're saving the biggest for last for the bang. 62%. You are wrong, Brian. Polkadot is actually much better than that. 33%. Yeah. I tried to I tried to kind of fool you by putting up some random numbers so that it doesn't go from lowest to highest. Because I know you're 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 good at deduction. I'm no Sherlock Holmes, but you know, I like to. I like to think critically. Yeah, yeah. So that that's pretty important news in terms of Solana. Um, and the reason that I'm covering Solana so much today is because uh, we will be talking a little bit more about it when we dissect our coins. Uh, last piece of news here from me before I hand it over to you. Have you heard about ApeCoin? <laughs> yes, I did. I actually had that in my notes to talk about today because we discussed the merger and we were wondering what the end game was. And so I guess now we're starting to see that play out, right? Yeah. So for those who aren't familiar with ApeCoin, this is a coin created by the Board Ape Yacht Club, the second most popular NFT in the world. Uh, and they recently airdropped 10,000 Ape Coins to every single person who holds a Board Ape. But as soon as they dropped it, did you see what happened? They picked it up. No, everybody started selling the ape coins and it's down 80% from the price that it came out at. Whoa. Okay. Because, yeah. you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I understood the ape coin was specifically for their DAO in terms of governance and letting those people hold, hold the ape coins be part of the decision making behind the DAO. And I could see this as a way to, you know, strengthen the community and get people to stick around, I guess you could say. And so what you're saying is that didn't work out that way. Well, here's the thing. I'm guessing that a lot of people who hold board apes maybe don't have an interest in voting in the DAO. So for instance, if someone airdropped me 10,000 ape coins, if I was fortunate enough to hold a board ape, I think I would probably sell like eight or nine thousand of them like i i wouldn't want to have that many of them and it would be a nice they came out at about 34 dollars per coin so like that would be a a beautiful profit to like lock in right now they're at six dollars a coin so it's still not you know that bad um but yeah i don't know what what would you do if you had a board ape mm-hmm. and they just airdropped you ten thousand of these ape coins what would you do that's a good question um I would 
most likely sell some just because of the nature of, of these type of like coin releases. There's a lot of hype, a lot of interest right away. And generally things kind of go down after that for a little while. It usually recovers, but I would probably get in on some of that, that hype and maybe sell maybe half, take mm-hmm. some profit and maybe hold the rest to see what happens. But I mean, it's, it, it's kind of a problem. Like when I think about like, okay, holding these for governance, okay, is that really going to increase the value like over time? Do you think more people are going to demand these coins like, to have governance? Or I'm just not really sure about the use case for it. Yeah. You know yeah I mean? I'm not sure either. I feel like I would like to participate, but I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to have like 50% voting rights in this thing. Like I, I don't mind just casting my vote with like a thousand ape coins. Yeah, you got to show up meetings, you got to vote, <laughs> stuff. I mean, it's a lot of responsibility. I just want my ape and, uh, you know, that's it. Exactly. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't know enough about the DAO, like what, what that entails. But uh, yeah, I don't know, man. I mean, a lot of tokens are like governance tokens when it comes down to it. They're not meant to be like currency. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, how do, what about you? Would you, you, say it, you would sell some, take some profit, and then hold? hold yeah, it, it really depends. It depends if you want to govern. Like, I don't really have an interest in governing. I, I don't want to be a governor. I don't want the responsibility. Same. I trust everybody else. I want to look at my NFT, covet it. I don't, I don't trust them, but for example, like, I'm Bulgarian. We're so used to being conquered by others that we're like, ah, we'll just get by. Like, please don't kill us. We'll just like, please leave us alone. Like, that's our kind yeah, of uh, yeah. general ethos of Under come on, radar, just like, leave me alone. Yeah. Under the radar. Don't uh, stick your head up. Yep. So, yeah, I, you know, like as people know, and as you know, I'm not a huge NFT guy yet. I'm still waiting for some more use cases or something that speaks to me. So for me, it just seems like, yeah, okay. Cool. Yeah. I think I might have a NFT project that you might be interested in, by the way. Really? It is a poker-based NFT project where uh, they do weekly poker games. And you, if you hold the NFT, I think they haven't launched yet. But if you hold the NFT, the idea is you don't have to pay like a buy-in fee to play in the poker hmm. game. Uh, they use all of the money they generated from the NFT sale to give out prizes to the winner of each poker game. So I feel like that would be kind of fun. It's like, yeah, that sounds like I, fun. I pay once and then I just get free entry into like all these poker games and can hang out with friends and, you know, just chat. Yeah, that, that does sound cool. I'm not much of a poker player, to be honest. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I try to play on, online a little bit and uh, yeah, I'd like to play more. But for me, it's like, I want to go someplace. I want to sit at a table. I want to feel the cards. I want to feel the chips. And I just don't, there's no place like around here that I could do that. I guess there is a place in Daly City. But There is a place. It's called Bogdan's House. I'll have you over. You come over. I have the poker chips. I actually have one right here. Uh, okay. Sounds like, yeah, I might get fleeced. <laughs> Not by me, but but by some of my friends. I just enjoy it just to hang out with friends. And yeah, it's a we, we drink, we chat, like we revel. Yeah. 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 No, it's good for that. Yeah. So th- those are my news for this week. What do you have for us? Yeah. You know, I feel like it, I would call it a slow news week, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I found some good stuff. I kind of want to keep my news stories maybe a little more lighthearted these days just because there's a lot of stuff going on in the world. That being said, <laughs> the story I do have is it's not really lighthearted. It's actually 
kind of sucks for this person, but if you're having a bad week, it'll make you feel better. Okay. So uh, an NFT collector accidentally sold his $1.2 million ETH rock for fractions of a cent. Oh God, how do you accidentally do such a thing? Good question. So he was going to list his ETH rock, which ETH rock is basically a NFT that's a pet rock. Oh God. I know, I know right? And it's worth $1.2 million. And he was going to list it on OpenSea and instead of uh, putting it up for like the ETH amount, he put it up for the way amount. Oh God. He got that confused. And so he put it up not for the amount of Ethereum, but for the amount of Ethereum gas. Oh God. <laughs> and uh, he ended up selling it for 0. 0.0012. Do you think that the person who bought it perhaps will give it back to him? Because like, I heard that that happened in a previous case where someone accidentally sold their board ape and the person gave it back to them because they're like i know you didn't mean to do this like here you know that's a good question i was thinking the same thing but apparently a bot snapped it up this is why bots are important yes that's why they're out there looking for stupidity i'm sorry for that guy i don't mean to call you stupid but they're looking for those mistakes and for those mistakes anomalies yes i apologize for lost their money that's a horrible thing I don't want to, you know, make you feel worse, but, um, but yeah. So apparently, a bot sold it and or bought it, and if they sold it, they'd make six hundred fifty thousand dollars. Oh wow, that's crazy! Yeah. Like, oh, I, you know what? This makes me. It makes me wish that I was good at like computer programming, all this tech stuff, because it's yes, okay, like it's hard because usually you get made fun of for being like the nerdy kid in school. But when something like this happens, you're like, who's, who's the nerdy kid now? Like I just made 650 K. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think, um, you know, the last 20 years was the, the era of the nerd. I mean, think about all the people who, you know, made millions on the internet, millions yeah. on whatever other technology. Not us, Brian, not us. Well, yeah. Not us someday. And then, you know, the, the jocks are out there, uh, you know, I don't know what they're doing these days, but usually doing tech sales. Yes. Yeah. I've been <laughs> on a tech sales team for a while. And you're right. That's where, that's where you end up. So, but anyway, that's a, not a happy story, but you know, if you made some mistakes this week, if you, if you burnt your toast, you stubbed your toe, this will all put it into perspective. Cause that's a lot of money. It is. It is. Apparently this was like his whole nest egg. This was it. This is it. I would be so careful if I was doing that, though. I feel like I would quadruple check my work and just, you know. You know, you're up late at night, you had a long day, you know, you're a little bit drowsy, a little bit woozy. Never do it late at night. Always, you know, it's right. it's 11 a.m. You've woken up, you've had your coffee. Now it's time to sell your digital pet rock. Yeah. Don't make any life-changing decisions after midnight, whether it's calling yeah. an ex-girlfriend or selling an NFT. <laughs> to the morning very true so, anyway and also i was going to talk about the the board eight but we already covered that one um let's see what else we got here slow day so i did read that binance is looking into buying banks and payment processors in, Bur in uh, brazil oh interesting what do you make of that well they want to basically strengthen their presence in latin america and uh, fall in line better with the regulations. So they're trying to get a foothold in that market. If you think about how many people are there, um, it makes sense. 
Mm-hmm. So yeah, we'll see what happens. Um, I'm not like a huge Binance guy. Like I don't have anything on the Binance USA. Don't own any Binance tokens. Um, you know, they own coin market cap as well. And so I kind of like, I'm a little bit wary of that relationship in terms of how they report and control the numbers and a lot of the stuff that goes into it. There's been some issues in the past with how they rank certain tokens. There's been some things. Interesting. I did not know that Binance owns coin market cap. Yes, they do. Um, they own a couple other things too. Uh, but yeah, that's the big one. And so people have been a little bit critical of that relationship just because they are basically the place people go to look for, okay, the value of a token, the ranking, all these other things. Yeah. And sometimes based on a, a token's current market cap, it's not being reflected on their website. And so some projects have had a problem with that in the past. So, you know, make up your own opinion, but uh, yeah, so apparently that's happening. And I guess, you know, at the end of the day, it, that kind of expands into these emerging markets is good for the overall crypto community in general. So I guess, I guess it's a good thing. We'll see what happens. Um, yeah, that's pretty much all I got. All right. Well, if that's all you got, that's all you got. Let's uh, jump into listener questions then. So thank you guys again for uh, sending us your listener questions to us. We really appreciate it. If you want to send a question to get it answered on the podcast, again, our email is questions at cryptosafari.us. So crypto. So if you send your uh, questions to us, we will cover them on a future podcast episode. Our two questions here are from Michael and Keenan. First question here is from Michael. He is asking, do you stake your crypto anywhere? And if so, where? So I think this is a question just for us personally. Do you stake your crypto currently? Not yet. I haven't staked yet, but I do plan on staking pretty soon here. As you know, I'm an early buyer of Saitama. Yep. They launched their uh, trading platform, Satamask. And so I plan on putting a tidy sum onto the platform just because they have some pretty good returns on staking. And also I want to provide liquidity for the project because as an investor, I want to see it grow. So I'll probably do that eventually. They're still working out some of the bugs on their platform, but once they get that sorted out, hopefully, you know, this year sometime, I plan on putting a good amount in there just because why not, you know? So what about you? That's nice. Um, A quick question about that. What are their general rates of return for staking? And uh, before you answer that, I should, explain staking just means you are locking your crypto up uh give it, putting it into a pool with other people's crypto and that crypto is being lent out to others who want to borrow it to do whatever they need to do with it so that is what staking means when we talk about staking um but yeah what, what's the general kind of return that saitama is giving for staking saitama yeah good question uh so right now if you stake for 30 days, you get 2%. Okay. 90 days, you get 4%. 180 days, you get 6%. Okay, not bad. I mean, for 180 days, I think that is a good one. For 30 days, it's pretty low. 2% is pretty low. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I think when you when you contemplate staking your tokens, it really depends on what your plans are for those tokens and what you believe the project is going to do. Like for me, say Tama is a two or three year plan. I don't think they're going to really see like, you know, a penny valuation at least for like three or four years if they do at all. So for me, I'm going to hold on to it. And so if I'm going to hold on to it in a wallet, I might as well be getting 
the return as well. Yeah. And so, you know, it really depends on what your, what your plan is for that investment. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And if anyone wants to listen about what Saitama is, Brian did cover it in episode one of the Crypto Safari podcast. So yes, yes. Also, there are a lot of like things you have to be careful of when you're staking, you know, liquidity, uh, what are the rules? When can you take the money out? You know, the volatility can be an issue. I mean, it's, it's, it's not a one size fits all solution, like platform to platform. You have to read the fine print. Exactly. And I'm glad that you brought that up because it is possible when you stake your crypto to lose your crypto. That can happen. It's pretty rare from what I understand, but it can happen. So for that reason, I do stake some of my crypto, but I always stake it through BlockFi. Are you familiar with BlockFi? Yes, yes. We definitely talked about this. So they basically help you decide where to stake it. Is that right? Not really. So they are they are trying to function as a crypto bank, meaning they're trying to offer security right. uh, for when you stake your crypto. So they also offer really, really good rates. Uh, so for example, the rate for Ethereum is anywhere between four and 5%. It fluctuates, but it's anywhere in that neighborhood. And that doesn't matter. You could stake it for, uh, I think their minimum amount is five days, but you could stake it for five days, 10 days, 10 months you will get that rate no matter what, which is really nice. The thing that I stake the most actually is just stable coin. So for USDG, which I believe is Gemini stable coin, you get about eight or 9%, Wow, That's which is, good. yeah. And the best part about BlockFi is that they actually secure it with real world funds, meaning if they get hacked or if your crypto gets stolen in any way, they will just reimburse you from their piggy bank. So yeah, it's almost like FDIC insurance. And I think that's like what you need to look for if you're going to be staking coins. Maybe not staking like a new project where liquidity might just evaporate because they offer like really high rates. And so everybody jumps in. That's not sustainable. So people just jump out or whales manipulate that sort of thing. And so, but I think we're working with like Blockify where they have like these set rules and the returns in place like that makes more sense to stake that way for me personally exactly yeah so if you guys want to learn a little bit more about BlockFi they did do an interview with the founders of BlockFi on the modern finance podcast oh cool yeah I heard that one yeah yeah exactly so it was a really good episode it was really nice to have like an hour-long session where the guy explained in detail how everything works how their security mechanisms work so uh Make sure you head over to Modern Finances podcast if you're interested in that. Um, all right, our next podcast, question. Yes, our next question here is from Keenan. Keenan would like to know: Do you recommend doing recurring buys? And maybe you could explain what a recurring buy is, Brian. Yeah, recurring buy. Basically, some exchanges allow you to set up a basically a monthly, weekly, or daily, whatever schedule you want amount of buy for a, a particular token or project. So say I want to buy Solana for $100 every two weeks. You set it up, they take the money out, they buy the Solana. Um, you know, I, I, I like that if you plan on dollar cost averaging into a project, you don't think about it, it just happens automatically. You just set it and forget it. Uh, what do you think? I accidentally did recurring buys one time. So I did not know this that it had changed it was on coinbase yeah. and i was just trying to buy i think it was like 
$100 of Tezos. And I didn't notice that the little setting, the little check for, do you want this to be a recurring <laughs> weekly buy was on. And so I clicked it and I kept getting these emails like every single week. It was like, hey, your Coinbase account has grown in value. And I was like, oh. sweet. I was like, great, wonderful. And then I looked at it like three months later. And I was like, why do I have so much Tezos in here? And yeah, and then I had to cancel it. Luckily, like I bought Tezos for a reason. I, I like that cryptocurrency. But yeah, that was that was an unfortunate way to learn about what recurring buys are and how they work. <laughs> you didn't get the same email that says, by the way, your bank account is dropped by the same amount that your crypto account has grown. Every yeah, week. well, it was it was during a time when I was buying and selling NFTs a bunch. So I, I knew that my uh, actual bank account was like varying in in amount so i didn't pick up on it for a few months but that was my experience with recurring buys i personally believe in timing the market i know that this is where you and i differ so i don't prefer recurring buys for that i prefer holding 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 and then when we have a big dip like we have right now i deploy so yes. that's that's more my strategy powder in the keg strategy yes yes yeah yeah uh, yeah, you know, I like that strategy too, but I think if you just believe in a project long-term and you just want to not worry about buying the dips and you don't have time to pay attention to all this stuff and you just want to say, listen, like, for example, if you want to just buy Bitcoin, you know, for the next like year or two years, yeah. why not just say, I'm going to put 50 bucks in week over week for this amount of time? Well, here's the thing, and I'm glad you brought this up. So I also don't want to look at the crypto markets every day right. or every week. The way I get around that is through limit orders. So I okay. will choose my price points. I'll say, I'm going to buy some Ethereum when it gets to 2800 I'm going to buy some more when it hits 2600 I'm going to buy some more when it hits 2400 And I set those limit orders. So then I can just walk away. I don't have to look at it. And it will make those purchases when it hits those prices. So that's kind of, it's not a recurring buy, but I'm, right. I am using a little bit of uh, automation in that way. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a recurring buy based on price levels. Yes, exactly. So. Yeah, yeah, I like that idea too. I think that's really smart. Um, yeah, I think I should start doing that as well. Like for Coinbase, they don't have that set up. So you obviously you have to have a, an exchange that does that. They do have, if you switch over to Coinbase Pro, so the way to switch over to Coinbase Pro is you type in pro.coinbase.com and it gives you a completely new interface where they do let you do limit orders. That sounds too complicated, man. I'm out. <laughs> so I complicated. Can't be, I can't be a uh, can't be bur uh, bur burdened with that. It's just too much, too much. Yeah, yeah, so, exactly. Uh, that's, that's a good tip. Uh, so yeah, anyway, I hope that answers uh, Keenan and Michael's questions, reoccurring buys. You know, I guess it depends on what you're trying to do. And if you don't want to do the reoccurring buy, you can take the uh, Bogdan method of the strike point buys, we'll call them. You can, or you can take the Bogdan method of accidentally doing recurring <laughs> buys and realizing it three months later. <laughs> and then becoming filthy rich in the process. Sure, sure. I, I wish. Yeah. All right. So that is it for our listener questions. Next, we're going to jump into our two tokens for this week. Before we jump into those, though, a quick overview of how we evaluate these tokens. So this is PTAC, meaning Purpose, Team, Advantage, Community. So purpose, what problem does this solve? What is the purpose of this token? Team, who are the founders and investors of this token? 
advantage? How is it unique compared to other crypto? What is its unique advantage? And lastly, we look at community. What is the user adoption? And is it easy for developers? And then Brian has added the plus T for us, which is super useful, tokenomics. What are the tokenomics like for yeah. us? So PTAC plus T. All right, so I will let you get us started this time. Since I went first last time, what token do you have for us, Brian? Happy to go, happy to go. I have a pretty interesting one this week and we'll get into it, but, but you know what, let's just get into it. So I was just looking around this week to see which projects were basically doing really well, pumping, and to see if I could find something new, something different. And so I stumbled across something called Theta Network. Have you heard of these guys? I have not. All right. So uh, Theta, that's the name of their coin. They also have something called T-Fuel, which we'll get into that as well. So Theta is a governance. And so Theta Network was launched in 2019, and they are a blockchain-powered video streaming network. Oh, interesting. Isn't that right? Yeah. So interesting. So as soon as I read that, I was like, okay, I got to do this token. Because when you think about use cases and doing something different with the blockchain, this is definitely something we haven't covered. It's new, but if you can think about what the possibilities are, you know, who knows, who knows? So let's just dive right in. So basically, as I mentioned, it's a blockchain powered video streaming network. And so it was, so the purpose, let's just make sure that's clear, this is the purpose. So its purpose was to solve three current video streaming issues right now. Okay. And these issues might not be yours and mine because we live in a place with really nice internet, high speed and everything. But one of them is poor quality. In most parts of the world, they're still rebuffering. There's still a lot of latency, that sort of thing. Also uh, skyrocketing data needs for streaming. When you move to like 4K, 8K, uh, yeah. that creates a lot of bottlenecks for like networks that can handle it. And th third reason or third uh problem they're trying to solve is the centralization of the inefficient system they have right now. Okay. So basically you have a lot of consolidation in a few platforms and that basically causes problems for the content creators and the end user. Yeah. I, I mean, I've experienced this in a very kind of normal web 1.0 way where when I used to live in LA, we only got Comcast yeah. as our video provider. And so how am I supposed to shop around? Like whatever price they gave me, my only choices were yes or no. I had no bargaining power. And I mean, Comcast has gotten a lot better. I have Comcast, I have their highest speed internet and it's, it's pretty fast, so I'm liking it. But uh, yeah, you know, think about other parts of the world, you don't have those options. Yeah. And for content creators, the, the platforms like YouTube, for example, creates a barrier in between them and the end user. And so this project is really trying to circumvent that platform and do peer-to-peer -peer video sharing directly. Very interesting. So, so how does it work? So in terms of how it works, I'm gonna get into the advantage because I think that's how it works and what they've done is their advantage. It's the secret sauce they have. So it's, a, it's first of all, they have the only end-to-end -end decentralized streaming network out there. So right there, they're just miles ahead of everybody else, right? Um, and that makes it more cost effective because they're doing peer to peer in terms of video streaming, data delivery, and they use edge computing to basically uh, share the bandwidth. Okay. So everybody shares. Um, so the big three advantages are viewers get rewarded with better quality streaming service. 
content creators improve their earnings because there's no barrier between them and the end user. Okay. Third, uh, the platform save a bunch of money because they don't have to build infrastructure and they can use that to increase ad sales and subscription revenue. Okay. So those are the advantages they're passing on to the consumer. Are they uh, trying, so are they trying to like build a YouTube type of thing here? Or is this more of like a TV type of thing? Like what would be a good metaphor? Yeah, a little bit of both. And so like right now it, they have something called Edgecast, which allows you to capture video uh, in real time, transcode it, cache it, and relay it live to streamers. But they also are using it to host other video platforms. Uh, for example, let me just pull this up. They have a few already on there. Theta TV, WPT, which is World Poker Tour, G Fuel, oh, cool. uh, Con TV, which is like anime, something called Sizzle and Shout TV. Okay, very cool. So they're, I, I've heard of World Poker Tour, for instance. Mm -hmm. So they're streaming these things in a much more efficient way. How's the blockchain involved in this? Like, is it blockchain based or like, what, what is it? How does it work? Yeah, blockchain powered. And so basically how it works is blockchains basically are shared by everybody. So there's no centralization. And so by sharing the video across different networks and nodes, people are able to share bandwidth at the same time. So for example, oh, interesting. yeah. And so the cool thing is they offer incentives for sharing bandwidth. Huh. So basically, if you have, uh, you know, maybe some downtime, you're not using the full capacity of your bandwidth, you can share that on the open blockchain theta network and get rewards. That's really so cool. it's all about uh, decentralizing the traffic, the bandwidth. And so everybody gets a little bit faster based on the size of the community. That is so smart. That's like, that is a really genius idea. It, it, I, I read this and I'm like, why is this token not like mooning to, to the next galaxy over? So, and yeah. we'll, we'll get into that in, in a little bit. But uh, another advantage is they have uh, some really big investors. Samsung Next, Sony Innovation Fund are both investors. Um, they also have enterprise validators they work with. Hmm. And so Google, Sony, Samsung, and Binance are all enterprise validators, part of their data network. So that's okay. kind of a big deal. I've, I've never heard of that before. And so validators are basically just, they're part of the consensus, consensus process, right? And yeah, so yeah. moving that over to like Google Cloud, and I guess they're able to do more transactions because for a blockchain that's doing streaming, it seems like you'd have to have a lot of uh, well, bandwidth and a lot of transactions to cover all that data. I didn't get into their white paper too deep. Sometimes those just get kind of technical, yeah. you know, and so, but uh, yeah, so they've got some great partners uh, and some great investors who are buying into it. So the, the advantage is, is up there. I mean, if you can imagine being like the first YouTube, the first whatever, like yeah, yeah. who knows? That's really impressive. Also, what about users? Have Do they have a good amount of users? In terms of um, that's a good question. I couldn't really find like a lot of data in terms of like monthly, weekly active users or how many people are even developing on it. Yeah. Um, in terms of the team, though, we'll jump into that first. And there is a little bit of community stuff we'll talk about. So uh, the team, the founder was a guy named Mitch Liu, who has a long history in gaming, video industries. He's also the co-founder of a video advertising firm, Tapjoy. You might have heard of them. I have not. Okay, I've heard of them. They're kind of big. He also did some uh, mobile social gaming, uh, some gaming studios, developed some uh, decentralized apps other stuff like that. So he's got a pretty good history in this market. 
Hmm. His PTO, uh, kind of the same kind of guy, he uh, basically helped design like some automation gaming, virtual reality, large scale distribution systems, that sort of thing, peer to peer sharing, uh, blockchain, virtual reality. He's like, they're, they're all kind of in that space, in that technology, know what they're doing. And one of their, uh, actually, one of their advisors is Steve Chen, co founder of YouTube. Oh, wow. Okay. That's a good co-founder. to <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Good advisor to have. The other advisor they have that's noteworthy is the co-founder of Twitch. Oh, wow. Okay. that That's powerhouse. Yeah. So they've got two people in their corner who know about streaming, know about this market. And, you know, I think the sky's the limit. I think it's really just about adoption and quality of the user experience to the streaming. So that that's a big selling point. And so in terms of the community, it's an open source network, which is always great because people can develop on it. And they have people who can, they have people developing on their platform doing D apps. Um, as I mentioned, you share the bandwidth and you get the key fuel tokens as basically a payment. Okay. So you got data governance, T fuel is the, uh, the currency. Okay. And who, who would I want to sell those T tokens to? So I get the T tokens for sharing my bandwidth. Who am I selling those to? Why would someone else want to buy the T tokens? And that's a good question. And that's actually one of the problems people have with this uh, project right now is there's over 5 billion of these T fuel tokens out there. And so right now, uh, there's not a ton of uh, market making for this token. This is something I think might be a good buy now, not financial advice, but I think maybe getting in now, maybe with a little bit of the fuel, maybe a little bit of the theta and seeing what happens. But right now, yeah, there's not a whole lot of like demand for them. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a really nice utility in terms of the service they're providing. And then I'm guessing that they'll have to figure out what those T tokens do. Maybe, maybe this is just wild idea. Like maybe in the future, in order to buy advertising on those like programs, you have to buy that advertising with T tokens. And so those people are buying T tokens to, you know have their ads run or something like that. Right. Or maybe using them to get maybe better access to bandwidth being a, a, a top of the line for head of the line type scenario. Exactly. I mean, yeah. That uh, makes sense. Yeah. Who knows? Uh, but I mean, right now you get tokens for creating content and viewing content and for sharing bandwidth. I love that. You know, this really reminds me of so many people have brought up. Why do our cars sit around in our driveways or at our workplace for like 95, it's, it's a ridiculous number, 95% of the time you are not driving your car and it's just losing value, yeah. wasting away. This is similar. Like I don't use my bandwidth all day. Like why can't I sell my bandwidth back? I'm wondering if providers such as Comcast, if I was like, you know, selling my bandwidth, which uh, is essentially their bandwidth that I'm buying, right. from them, I'm essentially reselling their bandwidth will they kind of crack down on this? That could be a risk. Yeah, that, that's definitely something to think about. Um, first, they'd have to know for sure you're doing it. And because of the, uh, the anonymity of the blockchain, it might be hard to track you down. They might notice that my, uh, my bandwidth usage has gone up 500%, you know? <laughs> right, during uh, primetime viewing in Malaysia, you're like, you're, you're spiking. Uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. Um, it could be definitely an issue because you are basically reselling a commodity that you're buying from somebody else. And yeah, so, yeah. Uh, we'll see what happens with that. So 
yeah, so let's see the sharing, blah, blah, blah. Oh, also recently, Katy Perry has dropped two NFT collections on the Theta Network. Interesting. Katy Perry, the uh, famous singer. I am familiar with her. I'm not really so much. I don't know her music, but so yeah, so she's on there. And I just read that Samsung is issuing a commemorative NFT on the Theta Drop Network for people who pre-order Galaxy S22 and Tablet S8. Very cool. So there we go. That's the community. And uh, I mean, if you think about like how many people are on YouTube, Twitch or whatever streaming site, like if they can get a fraction of that and then grow and have a lot of like mass adoption, this could be, this could be huge. It could be. Are you going to purchase a little Theta? I think I'm going to purchase some Theta. I'm not going to buy the T the T fuel. I think I'm going to buy the Theta um, because there's just, there's less of them out there. There's still a billion Theta tokens and there's 5 billion fuel. So I think I'll go with the less one and maybe that governance might have like some some more value and use case down the road. Yeah. Since I'm not going to be building content. What about instead of buying it, would you give up some of your bandwidth, you know, so that you can just earn it instead of buying it? That's a good question. I'd have to see what that looks like contractually because yeah, I don't know. Uh, that could be that could be a fun way to you know learn a little bit about it and get free tokens rather than ha always having to purchase them. That's a good point. Uh, I have to see what the return is and yeah. what what my what the effects are to my network to my bandwidth. Like, what if I want to jump online and do something at like an off hour and all of a sudden I can't? Well, I was thinking I would sell bandwidth. You know, once I go to bed, so I would turn it on from like eleven p.m. to eight a.m and then shut it back off when I have to use it for work and stuff. You never wake up in the middle of the night and have to stream something or buy like a nope. token or something? Nope, I sleep like a baby. I'm jealous. <laughs> okay, well, there you have it. Uh, Bogdan sleeps well and I'm up late streaming. <laughs> That's awesome. So, and then in terms of tokenomics, anything notable yes. to share or? Um, you know, a little bit here. So they're ranked number 45 on CoinMarketCap. So they're, you know, top 50. Uh, about $3 billion uh, market cap right now. The price is trading at $2.90. And that's coming down from an all-time high at $16. So this coin pumped back in May of 2021, had a huge run up. And since then, it's just been dropping like a hot rock. And mm -hmm. so there's been a lot of people who are complaining about it, feeling like there's too many tokens, not a good investment. But I'm thinking of this as like, this is long-term because yeah. when you talk about only 4% adoption for just blockchain, blockchain technology, if that just, when that continues to grow and these guys have the infrastructure already built out and that network and all these partners, who knows? So yeah, all-time low, 0 0.04 cents. Um, see, supply, 1 billion theta, 5 billion fuel. That's pretty much it. You know, not a whole lot of stuff to look at. Couldn't find like a holder account, but I think this is something I'm going to put some money into and just hopefully just wait and see what happens in five years. Because yeah. if they are the first to enter, they're going to have a huge advantage over anybody else. And with the partners they have, I, I feel like there's some there's some 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 pop there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. I, I feel like it's a fun experiment. You know, don't put your life savings into it, but something to look into. Yeah, um, all right. Awesome. Thank you for taking us into that. I love this new use case. That's everyone always asks me, what is cryptocurrency actually for other than speculation and just trading? And I keep telling people there's, there's going to be more and more use cases. We're at the very beginning of everything. So I love that 
people are finding new innovative ways to use blockchain and crypto. Absolutely. And you know, the funny thing is, is the same people, well, not the same people, but people said that about the internet. Yeah. Early on, people were like, ah, I don't get it. I don't see it. It's nothing. I, there was a time, um, I was reading this book, uh, The Blockchain Business, and they were talking about, you know, as far back as 1988, 1998, there was a list of top Fortune 500 uh, companies that didn't have a website that you could track. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You remember that? Maybe I don't remember, but that was a thing for a while. For it the was. out there, you're probably like, what? But yeah, for a while, I mean, the internet, uh, that was in the same place. And so we're looking at the, the basically the internet, but Web3 blockchain. So early adopters are going to get in and they're going to create a bunch of stuff. Some are going to fail, some are lose, but the options and the use cases are limitless. It's, it's up to the, you know, the developers' imaginations. Exactly. So, exactly. There we are. Uh, yeah. All right. The data network. What do you got for us? Thank you, Brian. So I alluded to the coin that I'm going to be doing this week <laughs> in our new segment. I realized we have not done one of the most popular cryptocurrencies in the world, which is Solana. Yes, your baby. I, I really like Solana, so I am very biased on this, but I wanted to share it with everyone. Kind of a quick hit list because I think a lot of people know about Solana. It's you know on par up there with Ethereum and things like that. Uh, but it's good to know some of the advantages, why it's unique, why people are so excited about it. So Solana is a layer one cryptocurrency similar to Avalanche, similar to Phantom. And its purpose is really to create faster and cheaper transactions. And uh, for reference, Solana's uh, transactions per second that it's capable of is a claimed 40,000 transactions per second. That's a lot. Compare that to Ethereum, which is 15 to 45 transactions per second. That's not 15,000 to 45,000. That's yeah. 15. One five to four zero. Exactly. So that is where Solana, that is why people got so excited about Solana is because it could do so many more transactions per second. Right now, they're averaging about 5,000 transactions per second, which is very, very strong yeah. in the crypto world. And then also gas fees, because they are so much more efficient, you're looking at gas fees of anywhere between 0. 0.00025 cents up to like $3 or so. So very cheap gas fees. By contrast, Ethereum's gas fees are anywhere between $25 to 300 Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. So- that is the problem that Solana is trying to solve. Uh, the team behind Solana is actually a very accomplished team of both founder and investors. So it was created by Anatoly Yokovenko. Uh, he actually led the development of operating systems at Qualcomm. Okay. You know, just the company that powers most computer chips. Uh, he also ran distributed systems at Mesosphere. He ran compression at Dropbox, mm. and he also holds two patents for operating system protocols. So a very bright guy. Smart guy. Yes, exactly. Uh, the investors for Solana, a few notable ones you might have heard of. Uh, billionaire founder of FTX, Sam Bankman-Fried. Mm. Yes. Uh okay. Reddit co-founder Alexis Ohanian and yes, okay. Ke Kevin Rose of Google Ventures. Right, because Kevin Rose, he was a, one of the founders of Reddit as well, right? He was not a founder of Reddit. He founded Dig. 
dig. Okay, sorry. Yes, yes, exactly. So a lot of kind of big name investors and people who also are pretty smart about choosing the right technologies to invest in. So that was a little bit of what I covered in the news is these guys are very bullish and their VC firms that they're associated with are very bullish on Solana. So they have been buying up Solana and I feel like it's not fair to blame Solana for VC firms buying up their token. You know, if, if VC firms are buying up your token, it means you're doing something well. Yeah, ride so, the wave. Yes, ride the wave as opposed to being upset that the wave is being run by rich guys. It's about getting upset at waves. Exactly. So that is the team behind Solana. Next, the advantage. And this is where it gets a bit more technical, but it's not too crazy complicated. So the I'll try and explain this as best I can. The advantage of Solana is this thing called a proof of history system. So we know of proof of work, which is what Bitcoin and Ethereum work on. We know of proof of stake, which is what like the avalanches and the phantoms work on. This is adding to it. So Solana uses both proof of stake and this new thing that they invented called proof of history. And so when transactions happen on the blockchain, there needs to be a timestamp on each transaction of when it's occurring. A hash. Exactly. And yeah. the normal way to do this is for every node on the network, every validating computer on the network, to timestamp the transactions. This means that the more nodes you add, the more transactions need to get timestamped all at the same time, and it causes some cloggage. Mm, I hate that. Yes. We all hate cloggage, don't we, Brian? Yes, we do. Yes. Solana solves this by having just one node as the leader that sequences all of the other messages between all the other nodes. And so this node gets uh, chosen based on a proof of stake system. But mm -hmm. basically that node kind of holds the universal clock, if you will, and is doing all the timestamps for all of those other nodes. So the way it does this is it hashes one transaction's output. So when one transaction makes an output, it timestamps that, and it puts that in the next transaction's input. So think of it kind of like a chain. What one transaction outputs, it puts as the input of the next transaction. Okay. Yeah. That was a lot of pudding. I know that was a lot of pudding. pudding. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. No, I'm, I'm getting it. Yes. So that is how the network creates a chain of transactions. And in other words, it is a history of the transactions that are happening on the blockchain, meaning proof of history. And so the proof of history, what is the, I mean, obviously you want to know when, what happens and where, but what advantages that actually give them in the long run? So, yeah. So the advantage that it gives it is, it means that you can do things a lot faster, but it also adds to the security. So if I am kind of a bad actor and I'm trying to sneak my transaction in there, mm. my timestamp won't match up with all of the other timestamps okay. in the chain. So imagine that you, Brian, said, hey, Bogdan, I'm going to send you one Ethereum. And you send it to me and later I'm like trying to change that transaction to hack into it and say, no, Brian gave me a hundred Ethereum, not one Ethereum. 
all of a sudden my timestamp will not match up that original timestamp. Uh, it's like it's almost like check it in the mail. Kind of exactly. Like you can't fool that universal clock. Right. Because it's so, constantly doing the timestamps for all these transactions. So just another layer of validation. Because exactly. Of- exactly. And it speeds things up. Every node doesn't have to manage its own timestamps. Like one okay. node manages them all. All right. Cool. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. So that is kind of its unique advantage and why it's called the fastest uh, cryptocurrency in the world. In the West. I, I know that other ones also claim that, but Solana also claims it. Uh, and they're doing a pretty good job of it. In terms of community, it's a pretty big community. So 52 billion transactions have happened on Solana so far. That's a lot of transactions. It's a lot of transactions. They also have 400 projects that they have hosted that they have created on the blockchain so a lot of DeFi protocols a lot of DeFi projects and they actually make those happen by holding hackathons Mm. so they'll hold like a hackathon everybody will get together hack on new projects and then they create new beautiful things for us to enjoy Cool, I like that. So the community, they bring the community together, everybody works hard, shares ideas, and then they spit out a bunch of cool things. Exactly. So in the last hackathon they had, and they give awards to the winners of the hackathons uh, for people who create innovative things on the platform. I think that's really nice. Um, They also, one of the reasons that people, developers like Solana is because it's built on the Rust programming language. So it's a different programming language than Ethereum. And from what I understand, not being a programmer at all, uh, Rust apparently is easier than whatever Ethereum is built on. So I'll take your word for it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So that is uh, the community. The other big part that's expanding their community is they do have a NFT community. So a lot of people who have gotten sick and tired of paying crazy gas fees, on Ethereum, on OpenSea are actually coming over to Solana. And one guy in my Discord was selling one of the Discord groups that I'm a part of. He was selling his NFTs. And we're like, what? Are you kidding? Why are you selling these? Like, these are becoming, they're worth more. And he's like, guys, I'm leaving Ethereum NFTs. I'm doing 100% Solana NFTs. And we're like, oh, okay. Like, hard, uh, you did a, you did a hard fork. Exactly. Exactly. So, a pretty big, bold claim. So that is the community of Solana. And then lastly, Brian, I will take you through tokenomics because I know the numbers get your jollies. (laughs) Do it, man. Do it. All right. So the market cap for Solana is $28 billion. Nice. Yes. Uh, The market rank is number nine. So it's in the top 10. Mm -hmm which I know you like to see. Love it. Yes. Uh, And then we have here, the all-time high was $260. That was sunshine that week of it. It was. Four months ago was the all-time high. And then all-time low was 50 cents. But I would say, you know, the general low for Solana was about 25 to $30. It kind of hung out in that range for a long time. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, We have circulating supply, 320 million. That's low. Gold tokens. Total supply, 511 million. Yeah. I mean, when you think about projects that are minting like 5 billion tokens, like that's a, that's a, not a bad circulating supply for in terms of value. That's why you have such a, 
a high price right now. Well, not high, but just, you know, a good price. So I, I like that about Solana. Exactly. Yeah. So that is Solana. Again, it's another alternative to Ethereum, similar in some ways to Avalanche Phantom trying to solve the same problem, similar to Cardano trying to solve mm -hmm. the same problem, but going about it in a different way. And, you know, I love to see that, especially because Ethereum has had a lot of a lot of issues, not because it's not secure or safe, but just because of the low uh, transactions per second, the low throughput, high gas fees. And so my question for all of these type of projects is what happens when Ethereum 2.0 drops? This is a great What question. happens to the Cardanos? What happens to Solanas? You know, you got to ask. This is a great question. So for those who aren't familiar, Ethereum is very aware of the problems that it has, and they are working on this thing called Ethereum 2.0, which will move Ethereum from a proof of work system, which is what currently slows it down so much, to a proof of stake system, which is what most modern cryptocurrencies are using. They are predicting that this will lower transaction costs and gas fees by 95%. Right. And then you throw a layer two solution on top of that. All of a sudden you're not paying anything. It's you're, you're, you're riding for free. Exactly. Exactly. So this is a real concern. I think, and Ethereum 2.0 is, is going to be coming out claimed June, July timeline. We'll see if that's true. Honestly, like I'm not at all like mad is taking so long because I know they're actually really working hard and thinking hard about this problem. They're not going to launch this until all the bugs are, are, are in doubt. So I, they can take as long as they want. I don't care. Yeah, yeah. I, I prefer slow and steady rather than fast and reckless. I'm not sure what will happen when Ethereum 2.0 comes out. I think that the important thing for these alternative cryptocurrencies is not to rely only on their speed, but also on the other things that are being built on them. So I mentioned those 400 different DeFi projects that are being built on Solana that has real network effect value. Yeah. And then also the NFT community. If you have a thriving NFT community, people might not necessarily care that Ethereum 2.0 came out because they are happy in their current NFT communities. So yeah. yes, it is risky. That is why I think timing is so important with a lot of cryptocurrencies. Mm -hmm. You don't want to sit with the sinking ship that was Blockbuster as Netflix is coming out. But before Netflix has come out and become the juggernaut it is, it was probably a good idea to invest in Blockbuster. I still have like three Blockbuster DVDs, like someplace in my house that I, I never sent back. So hold uh, on to them. Yeah, but this gold X never returned. Uh, you know, honestly, like you know, for the record, I feel like there is going to be space for like multiple blockchains, like Cardano and Solana. I think, like you said, people are just going to choose one over the other. You know, especially developers because of this, because of that, and there's going there's enough room for everybody. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that Solana is a good long-term play, but again, because of Ethereum 2.0, I'm not going all in on Solana, right? That's my, and that's how I always recommend is when you're weighing benefits and risks, it doesn't mean don't participate at all, but, you know, participate less than if you're just like, this is going to be the greatest thing on the planet. Yeah. So that, that is my personal take on it. Yeah. I, I like Solana and, I, and it looks good on you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. It, for those who can't see me right now, I'm dressed in head to toe gear, Solana branded everything. Spandex. Yes. Spandex. Spandex onesie. Spandex. 
All right, guys, if you guys have any questions about anything that we talked about today, remember you can always write to us at questions at cryptosafari.us and uh, we'll cover them on our next episode. Thanks, Brian. It's been a joy, as always. Always a pleasure. Yes. All right. Till next time, guys. Ciao. Good night.